Welcome back to another episode of A Strong Female Lead. I am so excited to share this one with you. Today, I'm talking with Christina Hall about self-worth, dating, and learning how to say no. Christina is a performing artist, has been a professional stand-up comedian since 1986, and has coached a transformational workshop since 2012. She is hands down one of my most favorite humans, and I think in this episode, you'll see why. Hey, Christina. Hi. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Uh, So I wanted to tell the listeners how I met you uh, and um, sort of why I brought you on. So I guess it was a couple years ago. It was a February and I was wandering around the house that I was staying in. I was like, what should I do with my life? And stand up popped into my head. Stand up. And, um, and I Googled it and found you. And then I think I missed our first phone call. <laughs> and then um, when we finally did connect, I, we just had a great conversation. Um, at least it was for me. And um, your workshop, the two-week workshop that we finally did in January really was transformative for me. And that, um, that experience of doing a stand-up comedy show was like, to this day, the highlight of my life. <laughs> um, oh my goodness, that's awesome. So w- what I learned in your class was, um, I remember you telling us all that we needed to go home and get angry. And um, and I feel like that's what you and I worked on for those two weeks, because you and I had calls in between that time. And um, I don't know, something about when I got on that stage, it was like it was able to come out of me. And I remember you had said like, when you walk off this stage, you're not going to be the same, like things are going to shift. And they really, they really did. Like that really helped me find my voice and my anger in a way that I think I had been feeling disempowered for a long time. Um, And something about the way you coached and the things you said and the way that you're able to see things and frame them and word them and see other people and call out their bullshit. um, I've always admired. Mm. So um, yeah, that's kind of like just a quick summary for people of what that show was for me. And I remember just a quick note on that show, being in the green room and being like, I forgot all of my lines. Like I went blank <laughs> and mm-hmm. I've been walking around the mountains where I lived in, like with my arms in the air, reciting my, whatever my routine, um, I had it down. And then I remember being in that green room and I just went blank and I went blank up until I was supposed to go on that stage. And I came and sat next to you and you whispered in my ear, you're like, um, just remember, it's not what you say, it's who you're being. And that just like shifted something in me. Um, I don't know. And that show was just amazing. So I thought it would be really neat to bring you on and let everybody who listens to this podcast get to know you and how brilliant and wonderful and wise you are. So I like that idea. Let me give you my, my, um, one of the things about that workshop, which is the last workshop that I did a year and a half ago is, um, I had made this switch to, um, I, you know, I used to let anybody who, wanted to sign up for the course to do the course. And then I did anybody who wasn't crazy who wanted to do the course to do the course. And what I noticed as a coach over time is that um, there was a, let's say a 
certain openness or there are some people that inspired me more than others and if i'm going to do this i want to be inspired <clears throat> so i changed for that for that course for the first time i only took people i thought would inspire me and then also that could hear me you know and and we could go deep and i didn't have to worry so much about perhaps some shaky psychological parameters <laughs> you know because it's intense work right it's yeah. stressful it's emotionally stressful and you have to really be able to trust anyway so um you were one of, i remember just thinking okay this is somebody i would want in the course like this kind of person is what it's she's open she's also smart she knows how to write so it's like a little less work for me you know and um she's open she's heartfelt she cares you know this is the kind of person i want in the course i remember that with you like and then working with you financially and that's another thing like you were willing to step up and do what it takes to be there which was really important to me too because it meant that you valued it you know so that was a memorable workshop for me and you wore a red leather jacket do you remember we talked about the jacket uh-huh. It was a black leather jacket. Black. Oh. With red underneath. With the red dress underneath yeah. it or something. Yeah. Okay, got it. I'm just picturing red, which is a very powerful color. And and the whole point of being on stage is taking up the space and filling the room with your voice because it's your fucking stage in that yeah. moment. Everybody's listening to you. Yeah. And they want leadership. Everybody wants leadership. You know? It was yeah. a great set. It was fun. The breakup leather coat. Um, what's funny that about was it? That's the right. Side note on the breakup leather coat is I went through a breakup back in March and I bought some breakup leather boots and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have a breakup leather, like whole wardrobe. Outfit. You're going to have like a breakup leather chaps. <laughs> <laughs> and a hat. It's going to look creepy. What's with the woman with the leather? Oh, she's just had a lot of heartbreak. Just give her some space. Just give her. What's with the woman drinking alone at the end of the bar with all the leather? Like the leather ball cap down to the leather chaps, the leather boots. Just give her some space. She's healing. She's healing. She's angry. <laughs> yeah, that was um, that was an interesting um, little journey with you there, with all the stuff that was going on in your life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your? journey and I know a little bit about it but not actually a whole lot about your your background as far as like a comedian um who you are and just your sure. just about you so here's one version of it I um grew up mostly in Colorado and I always wanted to do something meaningful with my life I can say that now I don't think I had that I don't think I understood but I am my work I'm one of those people that you know I need to be doing something that's fulfilling and meaningful I'm driven by that, you know, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I finally settled on, I'll do theater. I was doing a lot of children's theater and I, you know, for pay. And I thought I'll just do theater and I'll wait tables and that's what I'll do. And, um, I, I was moving to the Northwest and I needed this gig. It was $500 for three weeks, this, um, children's theater gig which is just so much fun, by the way, because you spend a week um, 
um, working with each other improvisationally and creating a show together. And it's 10 hour days. I mean, that's just, it's immersion. I love immersion. I'm a project oriented person, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and then performing in front of schools and stuff. It was really cool. Anyway, I needed the gig and the director said, we'll call you back to callbacks if you do an open mic at the comedy club, which was new in Colorado Springs. And also I had never been to a live comedy show. Um, I, I had a couple of comedy albums, but it's interesting. I never pictured myself as a comedian, never fantasized about it or anything. So I, I thought I'm going to go do this open mic and I'm going to fail because I know that you bomb like the first time you do it. And, um, and I'm going to bomb and it's going to be a funny story about how I tried to do stand-up. So I put something together and I was really nervous. And I remember I was practicing. I had to do five minutes. And so I took pieces of my auditions that I had done for theater, which were always funny. And um, I, I remember I was at my mom's house. I wasn't living with her at the time. I was 24, but I was in the living room and she's sitting on the couch and I'm standing in front of the coffee table. So it's me. And then there's the coffee table and my mom's sitting in the center of the couch. She's so, she was so good. And I'd be like, I do my, I'd run through my set. I had no idea what it was supposed to be like. I had no template. I didn't admire anybody. It was just, here's my little pieces of things that I've done. And my mom was like, oh, Christina, that's so good. And I was like, no, it's not, it's not good. And then I'd fall apart into tears because I was so nervous, you know, it is not good. And um, then I went up and did it and I killed, I slayed all the harsh, hostile words for dominating an audience, but um, I succeeded very highly. I remember they were laughing and I didn't know why they were laughing. Later, I realized it was my facial expressions, you know? And um, I remember when I walked up there, I didn't know how to adjust the microphone and I, it was too high for me. And I thought it'll just be fumbly and awkward if I try to adjust it. So I just said, and I said, I'm nervous to be up here. Are you nervous to be sitting I'm nervous to be standing up here. Are you nervous to be sitting down there? And they laughed at that. Anyway, so I do this whole thing and they loved me because I did not know how not to be myself. I was completely myself. I didn't have any defenses. I didn't know how to defend myself. So I did my little bits. I didn't even, I had no place to hide. <laughs> I didn't even know what they would like, what, you know, I, I was just like this naive little girl in the lion's den really. And, um, and I killed, I was invited back three days later to do an actual guest set at a regular show. I, um, my father, it was the first time my father said he was proud of me. Aww. Yeah, it was really sweet. And um, he's not a particularly validating dude. And, uh, and I was home and I, I fell in love and I moved to the Northwest and I continued doing comedy. And it was the only thing, I remember my friend drove to Seattle with me and she meant she was obsessed with whatever the latest dude was like every woman getting obsessed with some dude oh my god all the life energy that goes into that and I remember thinking ugh, this is so much better so much better I remember sitting doing an open mic to a full house and killing and then sitting with my girlfriends at a table and there was a guy of you know there's a table of guys that were looking at the table of girls and I was looking over like oh that is nothing that just can't compare to what I just experienced on stage. You know, I was in love. I, I was home. Finally, this is all I wanted to do. And so I just started with a bang. I went on stage every single night 
every I'd just go and beg a guest set and if I couldn't get one I'd watch somebody else perform but I'd only seen two actual uh comedy one with um one was Roseanne Barr headlining and the other was um Jenny Jones who had her own talk show and somebody killed somebody after her talk show and she got into a lot of trouble uh anyway she was not I didn't go I didn't know who she was she just happened to be the headliner at another thing but I had no dream about it and that's how it came just magically like that and then the workshop I was you know I um I was on the road for 13 years I had a baby um I stayed home and did I didn't have any other skills that was the only skill I had so I was cleaning houses and weeding yards and dog sitting and um you know, babysitting and whatever I could, cleaning offices, um, waiting tables. I was a barista, I was a bartender. I did all what I used to say, I'm a creative person, so I've cleaned a lot of houses. It's like what all the creative moms did. There's actually a very, there's an army of single moms who are just working their asses off, who are creative and brilliant and they have the cutest shit in their little house that's always, always messy. Like there's a brand, you know, it's a type of person. They're brilliant. They're emotional. They're not cut out for this shit. They have to work 18 jobs to take care of their kid. They don't do it all right. They fail their children at some point. You know, that's just how it is. Yeah. They have, they, they make, they know how to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You know, they can move in somewhere and make it cute. That there are a lot of those people. And I was one of those people. And then um, I was performing again. And then I found a new way of performing as I spent a lot of time working on myself and growing. And it was allowing myself to be vulnerable on stage. And I noticed that the more often I was truly vulnerable, the deeper the connection I had with the audience. And one day I did a show and somebody, and I just did my own shows, like at coffee shops and stuff where I just invited people and wasn't doing the road, wasn't doing comedy clubs and loved these audiences because they weren't generic audiences. There weren't drunk women at a bachelorette party. You didn't have to please everybody. You didn't have to, didn't have that burden. I could do whatever I wanted to do. And the people that came that I invited were generally growing people, you know, people who are involved in 12-step programs or personal development programs, or I met most of them in some kind of circle like that. So they love the stories about family and they love the insights and so forth. Anyway, one time I did one of those shows and somebody said, well, if you ever decide to teach this, and I was so broke, so I thought I'm going to, I'm going to do a workshop in, in standup traditionally, it's a scam to be taught. It was, it was a, a closely held, um, value and belief that you can't teach standup and that those that did were a terrible comedians and also just scamming people because you can't take a class and learn stand-up. And there, that is true. It's experiential. You have to do it again and again and again to learn how to do it. You know, they say you learn something new the first 100 times. So I was embarrassed uh, to do it. I didn't want anybody I knew to knew that I was doing it because it was like, you know, low. It was the thing that people did who couldn't perform, but I needed money. So a bunch of women signed up. I charged $250. Really? <laughs> yeah. I also didn't know my value. I don't yeah. know. And then, um, of course, I coached everybody all the time because I didn't know what it would take to put them over the top. And I, I only asked for one thing that they were vulnerable because they said something they were afraid to say because I was afraid I'd be bored, that it was just going to be a bunch of women 
in their in their 40s who just wanted to know what it felt like to be a star or something and it was so impactful that people were clamoring to sign up for it again and so that's how i started the workshop i can stop there um well then where did it go from there because then you did um what is that program that everybody was doing in our workshop the lake um landmark landmark yeah oh I, yeah so i started that i started doing landmark in 2000 1999 2000 yeah. so by the time i started the workshop i'd already been coaching for some of landmarks programs yeah so i knew how to coach and i knew how to listen and um i've been developing my intuition over time and i'm an excellent performer uh, and writer I mean, I just have done so much of this particular type of writing that I can hear, I can, I have just a great ear for hearing authenticity. And um, so um, I'd already been doing that. So a lot of those people came from Landmark, a lot of the people who did my course because it was the community, but also because the course is designed to have you grow. At first it was just people who wanted to do stand up and Somebody who was helping me with business at one time said, it's like the Trojan horse, you know, you, put, you, you sneak the carrots into the cake. And, I was, and then I got to like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not interested in people's egos. They're so boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's so boring, you know? And, and I felt like I didn't become a stand-up and do all this work to teach people how to like get on stage one time. It's, it's, it was very uninteresting to me. So um, it became a personal development program in the context of comedy but i had already done landmark prior to that so in the eight years that i did the workshops though i kept i continued to do a lot of work are you okay you're doing all right over there yeah okay you know honestly you look like you're about to cry really yeah is it the moisturizer under my eyes i don't know i it's probably just the lighting okay yeah sorry for that interruption okay so I'd done Landmark for a long time before that. And then, I, I mean, I did some during it and a lot of people came from there. But what was great about it is people who have done a lot of Landmark know how to be coached. They're not like, what? You know, you're hurting my feelings or that's too harsh or something. They can, I can be very direct and they know how to, they know how to examine themselves. They have experience, they're introspective. They know how to go, oh yeah, there's that thing that comes up whenever I'm threatened. They know themselves better. Those people are so much more fun for me to coach, mm -hmm. you know, self-aware people, right? Right. So um, that's why there are some of those in there. Yeah. One of the things that like on that note that I think I appreciated from the workshop and from you in general is like, as someone who's probably always been a people pleaser <laughs> um, and probably use that as a way to survive life. Like I've learned that a lot from you because I don't, I don't get that people pleasing um, vibe from you, like, mm -hmm. you know, and you've taught me a lot about that just kind of by being who you are, where like, you're really not afraid to like, say what you mean and mean what you say and say what you see and call things out. And um, yeah, I just appreciate that in you as a coach and a friend. Thank you. It took a long time to get to that place. And I definitely had a lot of people pleasing going on and avoiding conflict. And um, I think that the greatest handicaps for me, maybe there's others that I'm forgetting, but the ones that are most obvious to me right now is um, the need to be understood, mm. the need to be gotten. You have to understand my motivation. You have to understand my intentions. You have to understand um, and the need to justify. 
that those are the two big things that I have had to give up, you know, like in a relationship, you know, you have to understand why I'm doing this or with my son, you know, <clears throat> parenting that has really tripped me up the need to be understood, the need for people to understand. Yeah. As opposed to I do what I do and you understand or you don't. I'm doing a show, you know, for my birthday. Yeah. And um, I know a lot of people, some people have seen me do this before. So they know that it's not stand up. But some people, you know, come expecting stand up. And one of the freeing things for me is I'm doing this. You know, it's both, yeah, it's both not about me and I'm doing it for me at the same time, if you will. So I get to create whatever it is I create. It won't be good enough for me, by the way. It'll be sloppy or something because, you know, I'm one of those people that when I create art or something, I'm not great with details. It's like, you get the idea. <laughs> like I used to have a joke about it being implied. It's implied, whatever it is I'm making, you know, um, broad strokes. So I, I know when I'm creating a show that some of it I will really love, 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 just for some reason, it's just really juicy to me. And then I'll forget something important. And then later I'll go, oh, I should have done this or whatever. So I understand that it's always a work in progress, but I get to do what I think, what I enjoy, what I want to express without having to worry about what other people think about it, whether it's going to meet their expectations, whether they approve or whether they understand they'll get it or they won't get it that's up to them right you know that was real freedom for me Megan do you have that a little bit yeah I think so I think when I think a lot of times when I think I'm doing something like for the world it's really more for me and it's more healing it like unlocks something in me at least I, I mm -hmm. find that a lot in my writing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's um it was, it's been a really freeing, amazing experience for me, especially during COVID to go do a deep dive and let go of other people's expectations and understand that I'm going to be taking risks with my life and doing things with my life that other people are not going to approve of and they're not going to understand. And, and that's how it is. Yeah. What have you been, what have you, cause you, you are not doing the workshops anymore. Mm -mm. So what are you up to now? What are you working on now or not working on? Uh, I'm doing my birthday show. And so that's the first thing I've written in, in the year and a half since COVID. But my first experience was the, the workshops had, were, an, uh, were, were sort of a conundrum because they made a very big impact on people. They made a really big difference. And, I, and the show is not the point. People think it's the point. It's not the point at all. It doesn't even fucking matter. It's not, it really doesn't. Like, on your soul level, it's all the shit that you went through and got to before the show that matters. And the rest is just have fun and it's fun and enjoy yourself, you know? And everybody thinks it's the show, but it's not. Like my job is done. Like you're done, the workshop is over. Now you now it's just gravy, go up and have fun. Fuck up, don't fuck up. The audience doesn't give a shit whether you fuck up. They expect you to fuck up. They think you're gonna be, a, this is a terrible open mic. They're gonna be stunned, surprised by what a great professional show is. You can't go wrong. Like it's really hard to make a mistake. Yeah. Except if you're so afraid and you refuse to trust and you will not let go of your fear and then you trip all over yourself. And you know, like that would happen occasionally but it was pretty rare. Most people were able to surf you know, to a degree. Yeah. Um, anyway, the workshops, the conundrum was that the workshops made a really big difference for people. 
but it did not give me energy. It took a lot of energy and I was exhausted. It's when I started having adrenal crashes during the workshops and I did not know how to do them with less energy. Part of my part of learning about myself is my energy patterns. How I work is I work really, really intensely and then I crash and then I work intensely. And it's why I can't be a runner. Are you a runner? Do you run? I used to. I can't, I can only run really fast. I can't just like choose a moderate pace that I sustain over time. Does that make sense? Is that part of your human design type? Yes. Yes. It's, it was mind blowing when I got, and this was just a few years ago. Like I, I knew, like I would say, I can't work a nine to five. I'll die. People go, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. And I'm like, no, I won't die, but I'll get depressed and I'll get fat and I'll have heart problems. And (laughs) I will, you know, my relationships will suffer and yeah. I will show up late for work. Eventually I'll get sick. And I mean, I promise something will sabotage it because of the, the consistent, um, the consistent output of energy. You know, I can't yeah. do that. It's like, it's, I just can't. So the workshops in, the, in a way it works with it. Cause it's like a, it's like an intense project and it's over, but I would, I it would take me weeks to recover. Like honest to God, it would take me three months after writing for so many people and helping and co-writing with so many people. It would take me three months before I could write for myself. And then by then I'd be doing another workshop. So I could, I never wrote for myself Yeah. because all of my creative energy, I, I could never figured out a way in eight years how to, you know, um, give a little bit of energy to these people and then give more energy to me. It, so performing feeds me, it gives me energy and ideas and it would give me energy. It's like, Oh, this is what I want to tell people. It's about the, we, if you could just get that when you're on stage, it's not about you. And I know that's, that's really hard. The first time you get on stage, it's, it's an advanced level, but if you could get to that, it's about the, we it's about the, the unified, it's about the collective all experiencing the same moment in time, all with their attention on the same moment, you know, that's what it's about. It's not about you. It's not about them. Um, but that only comes from me performing, mm-hmm. which feeds me. And so the, the workshops don't feed me and the, and the performing does. And I've never been able to find a way to get them to work together. Also, um, all of the business aspects, I fucking hate it. I have zero ego about, around being an entrepreneur or being successful at business. I do not give a shit. I'm an artist. I'm an artist, artist, artist. All of I'm super right-brained, you know? Yeah. And I learned over time how to promote myself, how to have conversations with people. When people called about the workshops, let them call me so that there is a power dynamic in place. It's If I'm calling them, it never works. It's me trying to persuade them to do something. And then it got to, you tell me why I should include you because there is a group now, there's a group dynamic. I want people to work together. I want there to be a certain level of consciousness, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's so much I learned from the workshop that I think is really fascinating, but ultimately it just sucked me dry. So when COVID came along, I was shocked that my business and all my income fell away literally overnight when the clubs closed literally overnight it was gone and then also relieved and also felt like look it's not my fault because I couldn't stop doing it because that would be irresponsible you need a job you can't just not work but now I was like I can't do it and it's not my fault (laughs) it's not because I'm irresponsible I think COVID was that for a lot of people quite honestly and I think I think a couple things like the grand reset yeah the grand reset. I remember actually talking to you last summer, we had a conversation and you were like, 
what's wrong if people just happen to get a lot of rest for a while? Like what would happen yeah. if we all caught up on our sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, not making light of the pandemic by any means, but. Um, I know that's a trouble. That's trouble because the pandemic was awful, but I, I have the same thing. I don't want to make light of it, but oh my God, I just feel so much better. Same. Like I, I was able to let go of so much and do so much healing and, and yeah. rest. Yeah. You know? Same for me. And I think learning human, like I'm a generator, you're a manifester, like learning my human design type. Like I didn't, I didn't slow. I never had a chance to slow down enough to go like, what are my gifts and how could I use them? And what do I want to do? Cause I was working in a restaurant, which had its pros and cons. You know, I was, I met some cool people. Um, you know, it's an easy way to make cash, but I also knew that that wasn't what I wanted to be. I wasn't like, this is how I'm supposed to use my gifts until the end of time, but I didn't right. know what else to do. And so it's a bandaid. It's like, yeah. I got to make some money. Okay. Here. Yeah. But it also felt for me was kind of like a treadmill. I didn't really know how to get off because I right. knew, like I had, I had worked office jobs before and it, they sucked all of the light mm. of me. Um, so I don't know, for me, it was a chance to go like to, to play a little bit and get messy and like, mm-hmm. let me try this. Let me try this business. Do I like doing this? No, I don't. Do I like doing this? I kind of do like, why is it so hard? Something I think about a lot and it came up a lot in coaching is people not knowing what they want. And I know that I don't think we're all the same way that way. For me, if I know what I want, if I have it, I'll, I will get it. That's how I manifest is, is having strong desire and the desire being stronger than all the um, counter intentions, you know, all the unconscious things that say that people get caught up on, I don't deserve this or it's not possible or I can't be successful if my brother isn't or whatever the thing is that's going on unconsciously. But it's amazing how many people don't know what they want. Yeah. And if you just say, sit down and figure out what you want, like desire is desire. It's from here, right? It's from the heart. You're, first of all, figuring it out, that was bad verbiage because that's your brain and your brain yeah. isn't going to figure it out. It's, it's allowing your, your heart to speak to you permission to desire right giving yourself permission to want yeah and then yeah well your brain's going to tell try to protect you your ego is going to try to protect you and tell you why you can't have it and you know don't be disappointed again right the conditioning well and i know for me with work it's always been like i was raised i watched my dad have a hardcore work ethic you know where he started Mm -hmm. he started a paper out when he was 11 i just found this out recently and he, by the time he was 15, he bought a car and like my grandfather used the car because he was a pastor and they didn't have a lot of money. And like my dad worked, start, has been, had been working from the age of 11 until he retired in his late fifties. Like, and hard. First of all, I envy him for retiring in his late fifties as I turned 60, you know, but I started uh, at 12 with a work, with a paper route. Really? Mm-hmm. And I, it was hard. And I worked multiple jobs most of my life two jobs usually and it burned me out is your father a a generator that's a good question i don't know um i should do i should have his chart yeah have his chart done i'd be interested to find out but i think that i think there was this belief at least for me that like work has to be hard and also you kind of have to hate it like you know that's that's it it toughens you up or it's yeah there's the um there's the, um, it's like the false worth work ethic, right? You got to work hard. Of course, you don't like to work. Yeah. Of course, it's going to suck. Right. Well, and like, 
you know, that work and desire are two separate things. It's like you go to work, you hate it, you suffer, and then you can like, then you can enjoy your life and desire things after, you know, on the weekends or, or whatever. And I think, I think that, I think the pandemic was trying to shift that also for our, for the consciousness of like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, look how much you're missing out on connection with people by not being true to yourself and doing what you want, doing what you desire. Yeah, I felt I felt like that um, that COVID was that that for people. But I have to say that I'm speaking as a white middle aged privileged lady. I am not living in an apartment with three kids and an abusive spouse, for example. Or, you know, I, if this had happened when I was working two jobs to raise my son, you know, I was sole provider. I don't know what I would have done. Like if this had happened and the places had closed down that I was working I don't know what I would have done yeah um I just want to say that because I can be very um I can have tunnel vision about um my experience you know I can too and I'm glad you brought that up that's a very important point so thank you for speaking to that yeah yeah I mean I guess I would have I mean there's there are also with COVID there are a lot of grants and that's what helped me not work for a year and a half the first time in my life and I haven't worked that long I mean I did like maybe a couple of coaching sessions but that's it it's been glorious it's just been glorious to have that Uh, I woke up yesterday I'm in this house okay so here's another miracle I was living somewhere else with a different landlord with a different dynamic and my friend who's also psychic um like the real deal um was having dinner she and her husband came over and she's like and I was saying I'm gonna need to go this is before COVID but I was like I'm gonna need to find another place but I can't afford it you know I have terrible credit I'm I have excellent rental history all my landlords love me I've never owned my own house I've always been a poor artist there when I was doing the workshop like the second or third workshop I had to go to my neighbor and borrow twenty dollars to put gas in my tank so I could drive to the improv for the show and I remember thinking all these people showing up and none of them have any idea that I didn't have money for gas to get there, you know, which of course gets tied up with, I'm sort of romanticizing my identity around that a little bit, but this is sort of how I've been living like on the financial edge, you know? So she said, um, she, my friend said, well, we're, we just bought a house. Um, she said, what do you want? And I said, well, I mean, I, can't afford it. Well, what, what would you want if you could afford it? And I said, well, I'd want a two bedroom and I'd want a yard. There has to be grass because my dog likes to roll on grass. And she and her husband bought a rental property. She had gotten some money and they bought this rental property and they rented it to me. So I moved in March 1st and then there was COVID. Wow. So, so there were rent grants that she and I, like there was a, a grant that paid 10 months of my rent and she and I would, and she had zero issue, zero problem. No, if I could pay rent or I couldn't, like she doesn't have anything around fear that I'm not going to work or whatever. I have this landlord and friend who just believes in me. Mm-hmm. So I move into this house and I'm like, I mean, the house just, I mean, it was cute, but I mean, it's you know, it's got popcorn ceiling and it's got those ugly ceiling fans and it's, it's got carpet, by the way. And I am way too good for carpet. I am not, you know, 
<laughs> that was one of my deal breakers. And here I am in a house that's got carpet in every room except for the bathroom and the tiny kitchen. And, you know, it's a 1980s house and blah, blah, blah. And I was, and it's not bright enough. And it's, <laughs> and yesterday I was walking around and doing stuff around the house. And I came up the stairs and I was going through my bedroom and I have a little deck off my bedroom. And I was like, oh my God, look where I live. It's so cute. Like, I love my, it's so funny how my attitude has just changed over this time. Like yeah. the house is totally good enough. It's totally cute. I won't be here forever. Cause I, that's just not how my life works, but it's was a miracle to live here during this time. I'm so lucky to have all this time. I'm so, I feel so blessed to be able to I, I mean, it makes my, I can't even tell you the feeling it gives me in my chest, my heart and in my stomach area, you know, this feel, this amazing feeling about, I'm just going to clean my house today. I don't have to do anything else. You know, I'm just going to clean my house today as I think of material. And once in a while, I'll send a Marco Polo to a friend and go, oh, I think I'm going to say this, you know, I feel very, very blessed for being able to live the way that I live you know? So giving up the workshop, oh, it's just so much pressure, so much work. And then always the pressure of filling the next one and filling the next one. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um. So um, I wanted to share the conversation you and I had the other day when I was telling you about the Bumble experience I had, and you had some great advice for me that I thought was worth sharing. Um, so that guy, I, I matched with this guy who seems to live close to me, and we had a great conversation and he started giving me this business advice. Um, he like helps entrepreneurs. So I was joking. I was like, Oh man, I would love some entrepreneur advice or whatever. And so he's like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I coach women and using finding their voice and using their work, like finding their worth and walking away from relationships that aren't good for them and walking away from things that aren't good for them. And so he gave me this like brilliant like what I thought was like really brilliant advice and it mm -hmm. felt heart-centered to me and I was like wow I was like Bus business advice yeah mm -hmm. um and I was like thank you so much this is really great so after we got through all of that the conversation shifted to what are you wearing and um I hope it's if it's yoga pants I hope that your body looks good in it I hope that you have this certain kind of body and I'm like pardon me and then he shifted into, uh, I'm only five minutes away and, um, you know, it's a shame you're not inviting me over right now. Mind you, I never met this guy. I had literally, I mean, for all the reasons, right. Right. Um, and it, he, you know, just implied a lot of things. And so I let him know that I was like, Hey, that, um, I really appreciated your business advice, but like this part of the conversation is making me very uncomfortable. And his response was, um, well, I'm sorry. That's just, he didn't actually apologize. He's like, well, that's just how I am. I'd like to joke around. So good luck on your bumble hunt. hunt. And then like promptly de deleted me. Mm -hmm. And I found it hilarious. For okay, so okay. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. There's There was a main part there. I remember now when you told me the story the first time, you said, do you want to try this again? Oh, you're right. Okay, I'm, I am. Yeah. 
yeah I thought that so I had actually talked to my therapist about it and she was like maybe he's a little bit awkward maybe he's a little socially awkward which my, my gut was like I don't think he's socially awkward I think he's creepy but she was like maybe he's socially awkward here's a chance to use your voice so I went back and was like this part felt awkward to me would you gotcha. like to again right mm -hmm. so um in hindsight I wish I had not and my response is no don't give them a second chance ever again. Having done a lot of online dating, I did like a few years of online binging and I dated maybe 42 people or something like that. Some of them I dated more than once. Um, one, something I've noticed, this is very niche and I, I want to be inclusive, but I'm really talking about heterosexual women I know who are getting involved with men is putting up with behavior that is absolutely unacceptable and not to in any way contradict anything that your therapist says, you know, which makes sense to use your voice and all, but don't fucking give anybody a fucking second chance. Like it's just, it's, if he goes there, that's who he is, you know, whatever it is, you know, like it doesn't matter what he's like in any other setting. It's, it is immediately, he is not connecting with you as a human. Immediately, he's just thinking about fucking you. He's just thinking about having sex, right? That's, that's, that's it. And for him, he's immediately going to that place because that's what he wants. And it's not what you want. Right. Don't give him a second chance. And, and who was the other person? What was the other one? Remember the, oh, the dude. Remind me. The, com the comedian. Oh yeah. Oh, should I share this one? Yeah. If you want to. Okay. I'm going to share this one. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> this was time is irrelevant. It was a while. It was within this last year. And I met this guy on Bumble and he's a comedian. Um, and we had a date. He came over, he cooked me dinner, um, had a really nice time. Well, let me just out myself first. First of all, I should not on a first date, someone should not be coming over for dinner. That was my bad. Like it was COVID. I think that was kind of the mindset, but like in hindsight, that's not where a first date needs to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, it can create expectations and all that right. stuff. So you're being responsible for that. Yeah. So I'm going to out myself on that. Also, you could be killed. Right. Nah. Two things. One, you could die. Also, you could create expectations. <laughs> you don't want the guy to be disappointed. Those are the, those are like the two big, those are the two big dangers. I could die or I could disappoint someone. I don't want any, but if he feels bad, I don't I don't want him. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Okay. I could die and I could hurt someone's feelings. Okay. So he comes over, uh, cooks dinner for me. Uh, was it good? It was actually really good. Yeah. And what was it? He made like this. So he took some watermelon and he like carved out the watermelon, made this like watermelon salad with like goat cheese or feta or something, put it back in there. And then I don't know, some other vegetarian dish because I was vegetarian at the moment. That was cool. Yeah, it was it was good. Margaritas. So we stayed up till 3 a.m. talking and like, um, I think we kind of, our wit sort of matched each other or our sense of humor sort of matched each other. And then it's 3 a.m. and we start making out and he um, whips it out, like ready for sex. He and pulls I, out his dick. Yeah. He removes his penis from his pants. <laughs> You were on the couch or you're on the bed you're yeah, on the couch. Yeah. Were you like laying down or were you both sitting, sitting, sitting? Okay. Yeah. And, 
And then when he did it, did he go, did he like pause and you were watching him and he opens his pants and he just pulls it out and then he looks at you or did he kind of do it slyly while he was kissing you or how did that work? Yeah, no, more slyly while we were making out. And mm -hmm. I sort of stopped and I was like, yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. No, I was like, I like to get to know someone first. Like, mm -hmm. and so that, that killed the vibe for me. So it's three in the morning. He lived in a sprinter van and he had like remodeled it. So that's what he drove. So I just figured mm -hmm. uh, he's going to go sleep in a sprinter van at, like if he's had too much to drink. And so mm -hmm. like, can I sleep on your couch? And I think he thought that I was going to be like, oh, no, you can come sleep in the bed with me. And so I'm like, sure, you can sleep on my couch. Um, oh, because otherwise like, he'd have to sleep in his van. <laughs> so I let him sleep on the couch and I leave for work like the next day and um, and I text him afterwards. And I was like, thank you for dinner. Um, you know, like, let me know if you'd like to. Okay, wait a second. So was he still sleeping on the couch when you went to work? Yes. I feel like okay. Have, I feel like you have thoughts on that. No, I mean, I don't know. Okay. So yeah, he was still sleeping on the couch. And then, um, yeah, I texted him later and thanked him for coming over and thanked him for dinner. And I gave him a second chance of like, hey, um, I had a good time. Let me know if you'd like to grab a hike sometime. And he ended up deleting me on the app. <laughs> Uh, and it was really disappointing to me because I was like, I don't know, just the expectation of sex. Like, I'm going to cook you dinner and therefore I'm going to, you're going to owe me sex. So, so I probably told you this, but something that I really value recently, and I have to hear things again and again and again within new, within new and different contexts as I age and grow, you know what I mean? Yeah. For it to, it'll change. Right. But I have a friend who was a therapist who has Alzheimer's. She has some of the best advice. It's really interesting that she's going through this experience, but, and she has such a gift. But one thing she says is, um, you know, he's not gonna give you what you want, cut him off with as few words as possible. A guy who pulls his dick out is not gonna give you, he's not gonna give you what you want. What did you want? Like, what do you really want? I wanted to, I want to date. Like I wanted to ultimately date someone and find a relationship. Right. So what you want is a relationship. Yeah. And you want to have an emotionally intimate relationship. Yeah. Emotional connection. Okay, great. So a dude who pulls his dick out on the first night is not someone who is going to give you emotional intimacy. That's, right. that's not his aim. You know, it's, it's really that clear. It, and it's also just very bad behavior that we should not allow. We yeah. really, people who pull their dick out should be told, dude, put your penis back in your pants. That's highly inappropriate. <laughs> you know what I mean? It really is inappropriate. It is, it's, it's an assumption. My dick's out. Now you got to do something. And do you know how often women do some feel like it's on them? I, rem I, I was like this. I, I thought if somebody expected something of me, it's because I gave them that expectation yeah. that I, you know, if I'm making out with them, oh my God, he thought we were going to have sex and I wasn't planning to have sex. And now I feel bad. He must be so embarrassed. Well, I better have sex with him as opposed to leave him feeling, you know, embarrassed or awkward or something. Right. Like I really believed I, I, I was responsible for their feelings. You know, how did you, okay. No, I was going to say, I relate to that. I think one of the things I've 
I've worked through is like my responses seem to have been delayed in my life where it's like mm-hmm. the moment I know that it's wrong, but in the moment mm-hmm. that I have struggled in the past to like call it off in the moment or call uh-huh. it in the moment, it's like it take it has taken me a while, like a day later or a little bit longer to go that that was not that was not right. Like why didn't I do that in the moment? Well, so it's learning and also understanding I may not, I, in that moment, I may not get it. Like my conditioning is going to come up or whatever, you know, that, you know, it's, it's, that's okay. It's all right. It's okay. If it takes a couple of days, we can't immediately understand clearly the situation and say exactly the right thing. If it were to happen again, you'd be a little faster at it. You know, let's hope it doesn't. Right. But there, there is a, um, I had, I was just saying this to my son who was in a sort of compromised situation with a woman who um, did not want what he want. And I was like, she's not going to give you what you want. My friend Deborah was saying that like about some other situation. I wanted a friend to go hiking with. And uh, there was this person who was very spiritual and I really wanted a spiritual friend. And I have lots of male friends, lots and lots of male friends. And I forget sometimes that men, you know, I mean, nah, it's not true. I just have a lot of male friends. So this guy was a very spiritual person who was very involved in kind of specific types of spiritual practices. And I thought it'd be so cool to have a friend that I could talk to about shit like that. And also he goes hiking and I really want somebody to go hiking with around here because just get me and my dog out, you know? So it turned out that he wanted a girlfriend. And my friend said, cut it off because you're not going to give him what he wants and he's not going to give you what you want. So I said to him one day, listen, uh, and, and we were very clear and open and, you know, nothing was said that, you know, I just said, this is not very, very quickly. I said, this is not a romantic relationship for me. I am not romantically interested in you. I said it like three ways as clear as I could. And he was like, wow, that was so plain. And then I never talked to him again because he did not want to be my friend. <laughs> he yeah. wanted a girlfriend and it was like, oh, wow, he really, he really isn't going to give me what I want. And, and that all kind of ties into what I was saying earlier about knowing what we want, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, um, that guy who, who pulled out his dick, both of those dudes, they wanted to have sex. They're just looking for people to have sex with. Yeah. I'm going to suggest they're not looking, no matter what they say, they're not looking for a relationship. I, he pulls his dick out of his pants because he wants to then insert it into a vagina or a mouth. Yeah. That's it. That's the bottom line. That's all. You know, he's not, he doesn't want to know you. He doesn't want to connect with you. He doesn't, he's only thinking about his dick. He really is only thinking about how his dick feels and how he wants it to feel in the very near future, you know? That's a solid point. And I think when it comes to me or, or like maybe other women who would have responded the same way, it's like, why the, I don't know. I get stuck on like, um, it's like almost like a scarcity mindset, like it is with money where we're just like, I don't really want this job, but it's going to provide me, you know, or whatever, where it's like a bird in the hand. Right. Yeah. I had, I had a friend that we used to laugh at. She'd talk about like, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. It was fun. It was a funny line. I don't remember the line, but it was basically about how you're with, you really want the one, but you're with someone and you don't want to give them up and go back into the cold cold, cruel world again, right? Like all alone into the storm of loneliness, you know, with nothing. So you try to take the one you have and make it the one, right? right? 
and it's not the dude. And, 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 and it's, you know, while, while I suppose it's possible to meet somebody under these conditions and then it turns into a relationship or something, it's highly unlikely. Like if you just looked at it that way, like, what do you want? If you even had that conversation, so what do you want? Although people aren't always honest, you know? Yeah. Like I remember when I was online dating, I did not say I wanted a long-term relationship because I thought it would turn people off or something. And it was a lie. I want, you know what I mean? I didn't want, I want like deep connection with somebody, you know, I don't want like, I don't want a, a, the superficial aspect of, you know, having casual sex or whatever is just, is, is, it's just boring, but you know, be really honest about what you want. I had a guy actually say that a while ago, uh, on the dating app, he was like, what are you looking for? And I was like, first of all, I was like, thank you for asking that. He's like, do you, do you guys not ask this? And I was like, I've never been asked that not mm-hmm. one ever. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. never been asked, what am I looking for? And I was like, I just, <laughs> you know, and then, and then I like had to take a pause and go like, shit, I've like never, you know, do you have a, do you know what your core wound is? Like, I, I, I know I have a couple and one of them I've forgotten. One of them I literally forgot. I was told once and I went, bingo, that's it. There are two. But the one is my needs aren't important. Mm. My needs aren't important. Something happened as a kid. My needs aren't important. It had something to do with somebody taking something that was mine. And I wasn't allowed to have any feelings about that person taking the thing that was mine. So, um, it still comes up. My needs aren't important, yeah. you know, and I, but I can recognize it, but that's what that, that does that trigger something like that in you that somebody doesn't ask you what you want. Can you imagine being in any, any kind of relationship with another human being where they don't care about what you want? I mean, that's pretty foundational, right. <laughs> you know, your norm, unless that's, unless that's your that does resonate. That actually does resonate because it's, it's, it's a thing for me. It's like a, it's an old trigger for me that I can see coming up. And you know what, you know how they say, like, do people really care? No, most people just, you know what I mean? It's, it's not that guys who pulled his dick out. It's not his job to give you what you want, but it is your job to spend time with people that you think potentially can give you what you want. Right. Hmm. I don't know that I've gotten this vulnerable yet on this podcast. So um, thanks for bringing that out. How do you feel vulnerable? I feel feel vulnerable, but I also think it's important. You know, I think it's important to, um, it's important to share. um, Mm -hmm. And it's important for me to practice that. Um, I will share something that's very vulnerable. I, um, I always remember this. I had very low self-esteem when I was a young woman. And I think about it now, very unconscious as well. But I remember I was house sitting and I used to live with a bunch of girls. And then there were kind of people who hung around our house, you know, and there was this dude whose name was Pat that I had zero interest in. He was just a friend of a friend, nothing. So I'm house sitting my cousin's house and he comes over to hang out, which wasn't a big deal. We had people come over. So he and I are on opposite ends of the couch watching a movie and we're both laying down, you know, on opposite ends of the couch with our head on opposite sides. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I looked over and he's laying on his back with his penis, his erect penis out. 
I, re I remember it distinctly. And um, I ended up having sex with him because I thought it was my fault that he had this expectation. And I thought it would be humiliating for him. Like I, I believe like, oh my God, he, he thinks we're about to have sex. Somehow I've given him crazy messages. He thinks we're about to have sex. He already pulled his penis out. This must be humiliating for him, you know? Wow. So I had sex with him and I remember it was awful sex. I remember looking at the clock, waiting for it to end because I had to go to work the next morning. And I remember thinking, I was having sex with him, looking at the clock, thinking, if we're done in 15 minutes, I can get four hours of sleep before I have to get up to go to work. It was, when I think about it, like, I just want to go back in time and go, oh, my baby cakes, come here, my darling, come here. Let me just give you a big, 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 big hug and kisses and squeeze you and rock you and tell you, tell, set you straight about a couple of things, you know? Yeah. And I've talked to lots and lots of women and just about everybody has done something like that multiple times I wish what the happened. fuck what well what the fuck is right I wish that that was not our conditioning or just not something we I didn't think I just didn't know that I was worth more than that I mean I just didn't know you know it's and it's not like you're not kind of horny or something too you know it's just right. I didn't, I, I did what I didn't want to do to make him feel good because I felt responsible for his feelings at my own expense. Yeah. I did not want to have sex with him. I wasn't interested in him. I wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> I wanted to right. get up because I had to work. I was waiting tables at a breakfast restaurant, you know? Yeah. So, um, oof, you know, I think it's so interesting how, um, how women don't have a lot of love for themselves. And I'm not suggesting this doesn't affect men as well, but what the fuck that it takes, you know, 59 years to learn how to love yourself and to trust yourself and to value yourself. Like, why don't we come into this world? Like, clearly we've been conditioned in some way not to, not to love ourselves. I was thinking about how normal it was when I was in my twenties with my girlfriends and we'd be talking about, I'm so bad or and you say something negative. No, you're not. You're beautiful, whatever it was, but it was normal for people to hate themselves. Uh, uh, Janine Garofalo started her own production company when she reached a certain, do you know who she is? Yeah. I like her a lot. When she reached a certain level of, um, of success, she started a production company called I hate myself productions which I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Oh my God, that's brilliant. But now I'm like, oh my God, don't say that. <laughs> you right. know, don't say that. That's not funny. What's the type but, of shows? What are the type of shows that she does on that? Well, this was many, many years ago when she started this production company. I have zero idea. I don't even know what she's doing now. I know that she's, I, I saw a, a show of hers. It was a few years ago and I loved her so much. And I was watching her every once in a while I do my own show. And I'd watch certain people to remind me of what that looked like. And I might watch somebody and go, oh my God, I've got something about anger. I, I can talk about anger. You know, I'll talk about breaking up with somebody or I'll, talk, you know, whatever it is, the top, it would remind me of topics in my own perspective. So there are certain comedians that were sharing about themselves pretty authentically that I would watch. One was Louis CK. I mean, prior to his very disappointing behavior, the re revelation of his very disappointing, horrible behavior and what I would call misogyny. So 
as a woman, there's just no space for that. <laughs> I mean, because right. like I can't be hated and appreciate you at the same time, really. Um, and I know that's complex and I want to get into that, but that's how I feel. But I loved him as a comedian. And I also watched Janine Garofalo, but I saw the show where she was just saying a little bit like kind of superficial stuff. And I thought, great, because you do that, you know, to build a rapport, a little thing about a dog park and a little thing about firefighters, a little thing about, uh -huh. and I was waiting for her to get deep and she didn't, she just went like here, you know, she got to a certain point and then she sort of sustained that level, which was not very deep and then ended her show. And I was, I think she could be doing so much more because she's so brilliant, yeah. but I haven't looked recently. I don't know what she's doing. Very brilliant person though, very much herself. When I was um, doing comedy, we were, we had the same community of friends, Janine Garofalo and I did. And um, one of the things I really appreciated her, I was in San Francisco and I had to go back to my friend's apartment to put on my stage clothes to go on stage because I just wore shit clothes during the day and then I wear something really cool at night. And Janine Garofalo would wear her, you know, her grunge outfit. I guess that's what it was. She'd wear her um, Doc Martens and her shorts and her tank top, which, which I would wear during the day, but I'd change my clothes, right? And she looked fantastic. Plus she was very beautiful. Anyway, she, um, she'd just walk on stage. She was always herself. Like here I am during the day drinking coffee. Here I am on stage. Like there was no difference. It was always her. And I always admired that, you know, at that time, at that time I was, you know, hmm. you know, I would dress up and felt like I had to get ready and put on makeup and all that stuff. I didn't have her courage. So on that, on that note, I guess I have one more question. Like you, what, when did it shift for you as far as the self-love and learning to love yourself? Did it or when or how? Oh my God, it sure did. Thank God, huh? Um, huh let me think about that. So I think I began to, um, I don't know how, but I did a lot of things. I did ayahuasca about 30 times. And I've done lots and lots of other personal development stuff and whatever work, but ayahuasca was expedient. And um, I worked through a lot of grief with ayahuasca. And the first time I did ayahuasca was also the night that my mother died. Wow. And um, there were, I mean, I can't even tell you the experiences I had were just deep and profoundly healing um, over time. I haven't done it for a while, but um, I love it as a modality. I think it's really powerful. Um, so I think that had a big, big part to understand that my value, my beauty, my innate beauty and my innate um, value. I saw like for one of the things that came up was recognizing that in the background, in our DNA, you know, there was a time when women were thought not to have souls, like animals are, some people don't think animals have souls those people are wrong. Yeah. But that's how they saw women at one point. Um, and we did not have innate value. You can't own property. You can't choose who you marry. You know, um, we did not have an uh, innate value. A man had to give us value. You're valuable because I want to have sex with you. You're valuable because I want to have children with you. You know what I mean? 
And then you had to worry about whether men were attracted to you. And so I grew up in a culture, not my mother, but I mean, I grew up in an American culture where I got to a certain age and I, I went, oh, I'm supposed to look different because I'm supposed to, men are supposed to want me. Men are supposed to want to have sex with me, you know, and, um, and then also date me. By the way, it's not hard to get men to have sex with you as a young woman, really, you know, but, um, oh my gosh, you know, um, I think that it is in our DNA. And I think that we are, I think I was born of a mother who 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 on some deep unconscious level didn't believe that they had innate value, you know? And so um, I can't point to one thing, but I know that that belief came up. Like I remember seeing that and just going, oh my God, that's so true. We don't, we think we don't have value if a man doesn't love us. Our, so it's ex- our value is externalized, you know? And whereas a man, I'm generalizing, generalizing and hypothesizing. So don't take this too literally or seriously. But as a man, it seems like they come into the world naturally feeling they have value because they're a man, you know, and a woman has to gain value in some way. And if I'm going to oversimplify it, that's kind of what I saw in myself. And that's what I, that's what I struggled against. And then I, then I had relationships that fell away because I had um, co-created relationships with people in which I wasn't my, my, how I felt wasn't valued. And, you know, I had terrible boundaries. I just didn't have any boundaries. And I have a therapist friend who said, if you, he said, from what he's seen, if you have a relationship with no boundaries and then you set boundaries, usually the relationship just doesn't, he said, I don't think I, cause I don't think I've seen one relationship that actually continued when somebody set a boundary. So, um, I had some really good friends with who with amazing human beings really I mean they were phenomenal people very very smart and very talented and lovely lovely people who were just shitty to me and somehow our puzzle pieces fit together and I was sort of the scapegoat in the relationship and I let these relationships go and that was huge for me to say I value myself above relationships with these women that I love. I mean, that I love and I'm loyal, you know? Um, and that was in the last few years. And that was probably the biggest, I think it really is the action that you take to say, I value myself. That was probably the biggest um, uh, way that I showed myself that I valued myself is letting relationships go. There was another one recently. It's not, it's okay. I mean, and they'll, they'll have their own story about it, but for me, it was, I, I am, I, I value myself. I love myself and I can't be in a relationship where I don't feel valued or loved. For example, those actions that I took, which were really hard for me, um, made a huge difference for how I felt about myself. And I would say even just in the last five years, I have, um, learned to love myself much more deeply than I did before and recognize how I didn't value myself before. Like this whole self-love, that's why I say I'm turning 60, but I feel like it took 59 years, you know, like, and how fucked up is that? How fucked, and I'm a growing person who does all the work and highly aware and, you know, uh, very self-aware and how fucked up is it that it would take me 59 years, you know? And I'm sure that some people have like more resources or come into the world with, you know, with a better, you know, um, grasp of their value or something, but that's how it was for me. 
I feel like you just told um, my story <laughs> in a lot of ways. There's, that's just really resonant a lot. Very, very mm. resonant. Well, and I also think on that, that like maybe they come in with different resources, but also I, not to say that your whole purpose is to like serve the world with your lessons, but like throughout mm. the time that it's taking you to learn these lessons, I, I, I do think you've helped a lot of people with, you know, with sharing your journey of like, I know your pain because I've been there too, or I know that mm -hmm. I've lived through that too a lot. I think that's, that's, why that's, that's the value of performing for me is that is sharing my humanity in a way that has you recognize and accept your own. Yeah. And for me, it's been self-accept, like accepting myself is the two things, th there are multiple things, but one of the things I love is the, the sensation in my body of letting go of anything of a belief of a relationship or whatever, because there, when you're letting go of something, there is a tension because that thing already wants to leave and you're holding on to it. <laughs> you're clinging to it. So there's a, there is a, what would you call it? Like a tension between something that's moving away and you holding it close. Yeah. And when I let go, there's all the feelings that you have to experience, but there's this, it feels amazing inside to just, I mean, there's actually a physical sensation with letting go. That's like, Oh my gosh, it's, uh, I can relax. I can, uh, I can let it go. I don't have to be vigilant. I don't have to hold on to it. You know, I don't have to grip something, you know, I don't have, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Uh, I mean, I've experienced the exact same thing in the past couple of weeks and it's a, it is a yeah. visceral, it's a visceral release. Visceral. Yeah. Where, um, God, it's kind of just like something in your stomach can relax, like something that's tense. For me, something just like, it was like, it freed up all these other areas in my life when I let go of a couple of friendships that were what you had described, you know, where I like have a lot of love for them, but the me that I've grown into of like finding my voice, finding boundaries, still stumbling through it, quite honestly, mm -hmm. you know, and can hear, it's like, I am working, I've been working so hard on like finding my voice, standing up for myself. And sometimes I get it right the first time. And sometimes it takes me a lot of tries to find it, you know, and I think mm -hmm. that, that piece too is about, is that self-love piece is really important. It's like loving myself through the process of learning how to stand up for myself, loving myself through the process of like, I got that on the first try. Awesome. And then on this try, it took me, it took me giving that guy a second chance and then being like, wait, I, sh I wish I hadn't done that. You no, know, that's okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's part of the self-love is like not shaming yourself, not shaming myself for going, Oh, no, this is the, right. this is the acceptance that the, um, hold on. There, oh, I wish I could remember specifically what it was, but something just happened very recently that had the same thing of like, oh, I know I was in a writing project that was involved in a writing project. Um, and with professional comedians who were well-established and one of them was just a dick. I can't even, I mean, whatever. He had a lot of anger. He didn't want me to be on the project. I triggered him because, and maybe there was also, and he had grief and I could, I could give you all the reasons that I think he was a dick, but the bottom line was he was angry and hostile and passive aggressive and made it impossible to write. Like there was just, it just was a toxic environment created. You couldn't be creative in that environment. And, um, it took me four months to go, oh, I'm not doing this. It took me four months, four months. And I placated him and I tried to be great with him. And I tried to connect with him. I did every, and I tried to just know my place and let him dominate if he needs to dominate. You know, like I, 
I did all the things that I thought I needed to do before I said enough, this, it, this can't work. It doesn't work. But I didn't feel bad about it taking four months. I was like, oh, I mean, I had to go through like, what if I do this? And what if I do this? And what am I not listening to before I could actually hear, hear myself? Yeah. It's, it's all right. You know what I mean? Like you could say the guy who pulled his dick out, you know, thank you. Because it really gave me an opportunity to look at some pretty big themes in my life, not just your dick, but also <laughs> self-love and, self-love. you know. Yeah, and honoring myself. Well, and you know what, though, when, when I look back at that situation, I actually, I'm really proud of myself because there is an old version of me that would have been like, all right, well, let's just go for it. You know, like yeah. there, that was actually, I kind of looked back on that situation. Because it's easier. It's easier just to go ahead and have sex with a person and talk yourself into it. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I could do that too. I could. I mean, I'm, we've been making out. I'm kind of horny, you know, like, sure, I could. Yeah. But I, I had been working really hard on listening to my body. And like, my body was just like, it was a no. It was just like an immediate no, you know. Mm-hmm. And so for me to like actually say no and then deal with it feeling uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like, I think that's the piece that I've struggled with is like dealing with the fact that mm, when I set a boundary, sometimes like it might create discomfort and like, mm-hmm that's okay. Like discomfort is okay. If that is uncomfortable for me, or I'm worried about how it's going to affect them, like that's okay. It doesn't always have to feel good. Like it, I went to bed, like, oh my God, I just healed something in myself because I didn't make myself do something I don't want to do. Very nice. Yeah. So I don't know. That was kind of a win for me uh, in that situation. I, I want that dude to under, this has nothing to do with you. Yeah. I want that dude to stop whipping his dick out. I want him to start recognizing that these are actual human beings that he is engaging with. You know, this is ridiculous. He's got his own healing to do. It's very unconscious. You know, he's got his own shit, but um, good for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I loved talking to you today. It's my great pleasure to talk to you. You're the best. Thank you. You are too. Um, We'll come back. And I'm okay. excited about your show and me too. Can't wait to see you in that dress. And I know it's going to be so fun. And by the way, it's in a place that you, you have to take your shoes off and okay. sit on floor pillows. It's covered with shag carpeting. Okay. I'm all about that. I'm all about some shag carpeting. <laughs> it kind of gave me the creeps the first time I went there to take off my shoes and walk on this carpet, you know, like, I don't know what's in it. What's Is it orange? Carpet? Is it like orange or lime green? I, um, don't know because it's got light sculptures that are like neon colors and so it's dim except for the light sculptures so I don't know I want to say that that it was red but I could that's the kind of thing I do is memorize something and it turns out it was totally wrong you know I do know it was carpet so it's going to be a very unusual place but really fun I'm so glad that you're coming I can't wait thank you so much for being here thank you for having me